There's an overwhelming amount of financial advice in the news and on social media. Who do you listen to? Are they looking out for what's best for you? How do you tune out the noise? In this podcast, trusted advisors Emily Augusto, CPA, and Amanda Vaught, JD, bring their extensive education and experience to delve into all aspects of personal finance. Emily and Amanda make topics like investing, taxes, and financial planning interesting and accessible. And they provide a framework to help you think through the plethora of financial advice and news out there. Are you ready to start making the best personal financial decisions for you? Welcome to Connecting the Dollars with Propel Financial Advisors. and David and Danielle. We're all here together in the same room um, in Maryville, Tennessee today. And we thought we should record a podcast and we wanna talk about, so we've talked a lot about bonds on a few of our different podcasts. So we thought we'd jump to the other side, which are equity assets. So we're gonna talk about three different types of equity assets that can be in your portfolio that we research and buy for you. Our clients and for ourselves. Yeah. Um, And I think the three main categories you can access equity assets is in the form of mutual funds, ETFs, or individual stocks. And so those are all, we buy all three for our clients. Um, And so today is not going to be investment advice on specific assets to buy, but just an idea to give you some of our thinking around uh, these different types of assets. So um, because we have David and Danielle with us today, our two fellow advisors, we'd like to them have them do a lot of the talking today, but Emily and I will be chiming in every once in a while. Um, and we are filming this the day after the hawkish pause. Um, and so <laughs> we might uh, discuss some of the the Fed movement or non-movement Fed as speak, well. Fed speak. Fed speak, Fed speak. So um, some people are calling a hawkish skip, but I think hawkish pause sounds better. Oh, right? that's my favorite. Yeah. It's more fun. I think it sounds like a band name. Yeah, <laughs> right? So um, so I think first off, we'll start off with mutual funds. Um, David, would you say that's your favorite equity asset to buy? Well, they're very flexible. They've been around a while. Um, they generally were... Uh, begun, I think, with a lot of motivation about diversification. Instead of buying one or two or a handful of individual stocks, you could buy a larger number of stocks in mutual funds managed by a professional um, who uh, would uh, would try to to do better than you might do on your own. It the idea worked, um, although they're they come in all shapes. They're not all fully diversified. A lot of them are concentrated on purpose because they want to take the best ideas of an active manager and, and put them to work. Uh, you can also buy index funds uh, that now are often associated with ETFs uh, in mutual funds. Uh, many of those are very cheap, uh, very effective at diversification, uh, but index funds, whether they're in ETFs or mutual funds, present another problem. Um, they seem too easy, they seem too cheap, you know, like too good to be true. and. Um, they, um, they, they often skip by the, what I call the allocation decision. You know, what, what do you really want to invest in? Do you want to just invest in big U.S. companies or do you want to be invested in emerging, emerging markets or do you want to be 
invested in in smaller, faster growing companies. You know, there are indexes that, that fit into all those categories, just like there are active mutual funds that fit into all those categories. And that's a really key decision, not just the device, you know, the what, what it's in, the mutual fund or the ETF, et cetera, but how is it allocated? And so, uh, so if these things, these, these vehicles, I'm going to call them, these devices become an excuse not to allocate, you got a problem. Yeah, and I think we do hear that from prospective clients. Sometimes you come in, they hear this generic advice. Oh, I think I'm just supposed to buy an index. And then if you start digging a deep, little deeper, it's like, which index? You know, why do you sh should you buy the index? You know, should you buy it as an ETF or a mutual fund? Um, how do you, what do you, how do you, what do you tell clients who come in with that sort of preconceived notion, Danielle? Um, well, I want to, or you want to take a thing. step back? Yeah, I kind of wanted to go okay, back to okay. what David said for a second. He was talking about allocation decision, and I wanted to be clear about what that means. And and he also talked about diversification, and I think that the idea of that is also very subjective. And so one one thing I wanted to touch on was um, when he's talking about an allocation decision, he means, you know, say you open up an account somewhere and, you know, there's five indexes that you want to buy. You want to You want to have some international exposure, and you want to have you know, some of the big companies in the United States, you know, some small companies in the United States, and you want to, you've heard that real estate's a great buy, a technology, or whatever it is you want to buy, but the next big decision is how much of each of those to buy, and that's what David's uh, referencing when he's saying an allocation decision, and um, we don't know, so unless you buy an index that claims to cover everything, and those are out there, and I don't like those, um, <laughs> there's really no way to make sure you're getting everything and then that leads to the diversification discussion I mean is having 500 of the top US companies truly diversified if only you know 10 of them are you know 80% of that index and then again what is diversification is it is it 10 companies is it 40 companies is it a thousand companies so those are decisions that are the answer to those questions I think are different for everybody and in some vary from, I don't care, I just want to make money and I don't want to think about it, it's, I don't get it, you know, I want somebody to do it, or I can just buy an index and have that done for me. And back to Amanda's question, which was, <laughs> what do I tell clients? I think that's what she said. Yeah, I feel like you answered most of it. What you're saying is, that's not easy. And it may no. not be cheap in terms no. of your bottom line. No, I think I think that that's the thing is that think people think if you buy an index, it takes all the guesswork and decision making, and if you just do that, that's that's all. But and it if if that's what you do and you keep your blinders on, then, then sure you've covered it. But truly, there are thousands and thousands of options and allocations and decisions to be made, and 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 maybe only a small fraction of those actually uh, get to the meat of what you are trying to accomplish or what your needs are. Um, and that's why having an investment manager who, who actually asks you these harder questions that you know, we we're talking about, you know, helping a client with their personal goals, but sometimes they don't know what their personal goals are. You know, I, I say to them, well, when do you think you'll retire? And they're like, I don't know. Like, I've never thought about it. I have no idea. Or I want to retire when I'm 45. And you're like, well, you're 36 and you've saved, you know, $50,000. How, how's that going to work for you? So, you know, an investment <laughs> advisor is, is there to kind of push a person along and hold them accountable and help them with those really more difficult nitty gritty decisions with all of these literally thousands of choices that are available mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people don't even realize sometimes that those are choices. 
right. you know, that you can make, mm -hmm. um, right? So yeah. did, did we talk about, or can we talk about like a fundamental difference between a mutual fund and an ETF? Or, I mean, we don't really have to get into the exact technical weeds of it, but mm -hmm. just like a quick overview. Sure. Either. Well, I mean, there's, there's trading differences. Um, an ETF trades like a stock. And what that means is that the price of a stock or which of course is a share of a company, I try to remind people all the time, it's not just some, you know, some digits that are on a computer screen, it's a company that you're buying. Um, and the value of that stock um, changes moment to moment. And so a person who buys a share of a stock in the morning gets a very different price than somebody who bought it in the afternoon. Um, mutual funds are not like that. Mutual funds have a closing price and it's the same for everybody. It doesn't matter when you bought it during the day, you get the same price as everybody else on that day. So that's a, a big difference. And for people who see themselves as day traders or need to make, you know, I need to sell something this morning because I need to take a loss in it and then the market jumps again in the afternoon, you know, that does make a difference. Um, beyond that, there's some tax differences if the account is in a taxable account. Um, there's also the fundamental difference that's always been explained to me that when you buy an ETF, you're buying shares of the underlying companies, whereas if you buy a mutual fund, you're buying shares of a mutual fund. That sounds the same, but it's not. When you're buying the shares of a mutual fund, it's like buying the wrapper around the candy bar, so to speak. You don't actually get the candy bar. You don't have any rights um, as a shareholder. You just own pieces of that mutual fund. So, David, please tell me if I said any of that wrong. No, I think you hit, I think you hit the key points. And the more complicated point is that each device can be so different. People think of ETFs often as index-oriented vehicles. Mm -hmm. There are ETFs today that are actively managed. They have active management in the ETF. Mm -hmm. There are ETFs that aren't cheap. A lot of times people think of them as cheap. They charge much higher fees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, there's a lot of detail under the hood here that I think we've been emphasizing, mm -hmm. and it varies a lot which means it's hard to generalize beyond a lot of what you already said about yeah, the differences. And, and we've used those words a lot again, and I know you've done podcasts and we talk about it all the time, but to, as a reminder, an index means that you're buying a particular group of companies based on some criteria. And that criteria may or may not have anything to do with the quality of the company you're buying. It may have to do with just the size of the company, and that's what the S&P 500 is or the Russell 1000 or whatever other index you want to talk about. It has nothing to do with whether or not it's a good company. It may just be a big company or a popular company, which as we all know, doesn't necessarily mean a good company. And so when we talk about actively managed uh, mutual funds or ETFs, we like to buy um, through advisors kind of like us, but have much bigger teams and travel budgets. <laughs> and they go around and they actually visit these companies and plants and look through financials and they make qualitative or quality-based decisions about a company. Like, yeah, everybody loves it on, you know, Twitter, but what are they actually selling? You know, those are the kinds of questions that, that an actively managed um, fund manager asks. The quantitative okay. thing, which is the other side of qualitative, mm -hmm. you can find that in mutual funds where a person or a, a manager is going to use, you know, kind of a model or kind of a formula based on quantitative factors mm -hmm. in deciding, you know, what to buy or sell. The, some of the ETFs, when they first started doing more than just tracking a common index. Uh, they called it smart beta, you know, so it was like an index, mm -hmm. but they would skew it one way or another. One of the first ones that uh, first categories that were done were the, the ETFs that did uh, dividend weighting. Look at the dividend mm -hmm. uh, 
the dollars in, in dividends to to allocate within a group of stocks. And there are many varieties of that today. You know, there are there are quality factors that are worked into an ETF to, to skew the index in a different direction mm -hmm. in, a, in generally a quantitative way. They generally follow a, a formula or an index that's formulated that way. Mm -hmm. It's another level of complexity, but it, it, it means you have to be careful what you're buying. You can get a mm -hmm. concentrated skewed ETF and think you've got a broad index. If you don't look at the definitions in the prospectus, which is very hard to read uh, and sometimes not clear, um, but knowing what you, what's actually under the hood is getting a little harder. Yeah, I, and that's another thing I was going to bring up is that typically in a mutual fund is typically actively managed, although not always, and that can be opaque. You don't always know what that manager is buying and selling on a day-to-day -day basis. They all report those um, quarterly on an ETF. You can see what they're doing day-to-day. -day. Um, it's more transparent in general. Um, well, there is some crossover between the two, like you can buy an S&P 500 index or you can buy an S&P 500 mutual fund. Um, so, it, you know, it depends on what the product is, but in general, right? So, um, so I think we covered a lot of the differences between ETFs and mutual funds. Mm -hmm. um, what about individual stocks? How does that come into play? In the portfolio well, they can, be, they, can, they can be great. I think one of the greatest things about individual stocks is that you can buy one and hold it a long time, put it on dividend reinvestment, which doesn't cost you any extra uh, trading fees uh, to speak of, so that when the dividend comes in, instead of you getting any cash, they just buy fractional shares of that stock. If it gives dividends. What? If it pays dividends. Yeah, if it pays dividends. Uh -huh. But to use them in that way in a brokerage account where you have to be tax efficient, uh, because it's a taxable account, uh, it enables you to buy, hold for a long time, not sell very often, so you don't incur many capital gains. Uh, dividends are tax favored today if they're qualified, and, and so the dividends build up in that way without a lot of tax consequence. It becomes a pretty good device. Uh, uh, it, 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 you're not, you don't get the tax benefits of a Roth IRA, mm -hmm. but you can get the benefits in a brokerage account of using individual stocks in that way. Your problem is diversification and, and avoiding um, uh, too much emotion. I know I, I remember meeting with a prospective client not, you know, back some time ago, and he worked in the technical field and therefore everything he bought in the individual stocks was a tech stock, you know? And uh, this is leading up to the dot-com bubble, you know, and he had everything in the dot-com bubble that was in the bubble. Yeah. And so when it burst, uh, he went to 5%, uh, his account went to 5% of what it used to be uh, because he was over-concentrated in the things he knew about and liked. Uh, so stocks have got their um, downsides too, in terms of which ones to pick. Right. Yeah. You want to add anything, Danielle? Or? Well, I think it's a great way for an investor to be, David talked about emotion, but there's also personality in your, in your portfolio. Um, you, we encourage people to invest in what they believe in, what they enjoy, what they like. You know, maybe stock A isn't going to make as much as stock B, but you don't really like the company by stock A. You might think that their CEO is a little crazy or he said some really off-color remarks or you don't like the product or whatever. And there's no way to say that your choices are always going to beat somebody else's choices. If you're constantly in a horse race with 
everybody else, you're never going to be satisfied. So it's nice to have a portfolio that's made up of something that you like. I mean, you still have to have diversification. You don't need to invest 100% tech. We would never recommend that, but it's okay to buy things that are boring, you know, that are just good, healthy companies, you know, and I think some people who buy individual stocks think that their end all goal is to see how much money they can make as quickly as possible. And that's not always a healthy perspective on investing because you, we all know that the companies that can make money really, really fast can also lose it really, really fast. And mm -hmm. if your timing isn't good, um, meaning you think you're going to know when to get in and out, you know, that's not, you, most people aren't successful at that. Um, and so there's that sort of, I guess it's, kind of non-emotional it's almost a cocky way of running your portfolio but that's why we like to say you know you have to acknowledge that your favorite pick or choices we make are not always necessarily going to be the most lucrative for whatever period of time but you can't look at one month or three months or you know even 10 years you just have to say what makes sense for me right now and for the you know for the long term is long term do i just like this company i want to hang on to it forever you know i've got a lot of kind of like you mentioned that um, the person who had all tech stocks, there are people who work for the same company. It's not as common anymore that somebody's worked for the same company for 30 years and you look at their 401k as they're getting ready to roll out and retire and, you know, 25% of their portfolio is their company stock. That's a huge uh, risk. Mm -hmm. And they don't think of it as risky because they're like, well, I know that company, it's a good company. Mm -hmm. But if that company goes under out of nowhere, which happens, 25% of your portfolio is gone. And if in the case of an individual stock versus a mutual fund, if that company doesn't recover, neither do you. Yeah. And so there's nowhere to go. Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot of the value that we can provide as financial advisors is removing that emotional mm -hmm. attachment that people get to certain stocks, right? Yeah. Um, well, yep. And money's emotional, period. I mean, it's just a good idea. I think I spend a lot of my time. I rarely have to talk a client down from you know, a bull market, like, oh, everything, it's never going to go down. It's usually the opposite, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's going to die. You know, it's, everything's going to be horrible. I mean, think during the last bull market that lasted 10, 12 years, we heard that every six months, this is going to be over. This is never going to be like this. And we all made so much money. And, um, and usually the opposite is, is, is true. The market's in the toilet and as it does, and a client calls and says, oh, I need to get out and just buy, you know, stay in cash. And, you have to have the conversation that when the market is having a hard time, so is cash. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not obvious. You don't see a ticker for cash. You don't see it going down eight and nine percent, which it did in 2021. Yeah. Um, but those are the kinds of things that we have to pay attention to and just try to keep your head on straight. And, you know, I was yeah. even thinking this I, morning, I wish that I had kept track of every dollar that I had actually contributed to my retirement account or my employer had contributed for me because I would really love to know. <laughs> Like how much is, how much in here did I actually put in and earn? And I know that what I have is much larger than that number, mm -hmm. but after moving things around and, you know, I just, I've lost yeah, track as much track. as I, at some point I had that number in my head and it's gone now, but, mm -hmm. and almost nobody does. So if you've been investing in a portfolio for five years, 10 years, 40 years, you've already made so much more money than you ever put in. And, and that's the focus. Like that's your goal is, is to keep, just keep going forward. You can't just stop. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You just have to continue to make those decisions. Um, you know, each of these devices though, they have their place, mm -hmm. right? And I like to say, and I think it's true, that a lot of people that are just starting out in investing, um, you know, investing that first hundred thousand dollars, getting to it is 
It's hard work. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And it's discouraging to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, very often, you know, you just keep putting money in it. Don't worry about it. It lends itself in some ways to an ETF index fund, you know, a broadly diversified sure. ETF index fund. Keep it simple. Just keep adding to it. You know, you get up there, you got a few hundred thousand dollars. You can use individual stocks then because you've got enough room to diversify, mm -hmm. you know, or and you can always then begin to go, oh, I want to buy ESG companies because I'm interested in environmental and social and governance issues. So I, I want to go to a mutual fund that does those kind of active changes. So what you may want to buy or what you may be involved in may change depending on different times and where you are in the investment cycle. Mm -hmm. Same is true as you, if you're going to draw money out or as you approach retirement, you may want to use different vehicles to meet those purposes. Yeah. yeah. I think that was a really good sum up, actually, what you said there, how to incorporate these three different uh, types of equity assets in your portfolio and wow. when it might make sense to do it is going to be different for you know, everyone. <laughs> so, um, and I also just wanted to point out really quick, um, we had a listener question on our last episode all about kind of taking the emotion out of investing and um, like just holding on to one investment that maybe you just really researched and you loved 10 years ago, like it's not really serving you well. So um, go ahead and listen to that. I believe it's yeah. episode 29. Yeah. Knowing what to buy is different than knowing when to sell. Yes. Two different approaches. For sure. All right. We could, yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes, yeah. right? That mm -hmm. last episode we discussed that. So, um, Unless you guys have any final thoughts. I thought that was really good when we kicked the table and the screen. Yeah, all sorry about that. Sure the <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice it. I missed it. it. <laughs> I thought We're all at the same table. So I was just lost in it, thought. You know? I'm just like thinking about what I want to say next. <laughs> we're all professionals. Well, we're going to get back to work. Um, thank you for listening and find all of our links and resources at connectingthedollars.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 That will do it for this episode of Connecting the Dollars. Nothing discussed in this episode should be considered legal, financial, or tax advice. If you like what you heard, please subscribe for more at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your content. When you do, please give us a rating and a review. To see the links we mentioned in our show, along with other great Propel Financial Advisors content, go to ConnectingTheDollars.com. You can find our past episodes there and subscribe to our newsletter. And if you're still here because you have a general question, you can email us directly at info at connectingthedollars.com. Or if you're interested in working with us, click the schedule a consultation button on our website. Thank you for listening.